Good afternoon and welcome to Midday Moms. It's uh, Dorothy Polarski and Father Michael Pace. Father, do you want to say hello to everybody? Hello, everybody. Buongiorno. <laughs> uh, so we are here. You know, I was just telling Father before we signed on, it's just like God creates these beautiful, beautiful moments. And uh, for those of you that are, you know, signing on, a welcome, a big warm welcome. Uh, I, I, I just, uh, we've been praying just before the session that our Blessed Mother pour out her grace and we'll We'll probably say a, a short prayer now too. Uh, yes, please say hello in the chat box so we know who's here. Uh, we're very, very uh, excited and pray, as I say, to Our Lady of Technological Services that uh, our internet line remains stable. I'm going to ask um, Father Michael Pace to just lead us in an opening prayer. Um, after he leads us, oh, we've got someone here from Chester, New York. Hello, hello. Thank you for joining us. Um, I love Father. <laughs> it's, oh my gosh. So from California, from Kingston. Oh my goodness. Keep on saying hello and keep on joining us. We're really excited that you're here. Um, Carol Sutton. Hello, Carol. Um, so after uh, <clears throat> Father Michael praise and opening prayer. I'm going to tell you just a few things about Catholic Moms Group because I know that some of you are here for the very first time. Uh, so I want to make sure that you know about our ministry. But before I start chatting about our ministry, I'm going to ask Father Michael to just to lead us in an opening prayer. Okay, thank you. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord God, we thank you and praise you in these Easter days for the ways you keep calling us to new life and in the ways that you draw forth new life from mothers, mothers biologically, mothers spiritually. We ask you to bless our time this afternoon with an awareness that all life comes from you and it all comes back to you and you draw on us to help it come to its fullest possible here on earth. Bless us, guide us, heal us, and move us deeply into your heart. All of this through the intercession of Mary. Mary, help of Christians, pray for mm -hmm. us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. And um, so just for those of you that have never joined uh, Midday Moms, I'd like to tell you a little bit about our ministry. Um, I invite each and every one of you here today when the webinar or when our session is over for you to visit our website. It's really, really easy to remember. It's three words, catholicmomsgroup.com. So I invite you to join the, and visit our website. Uh, we are faith partners with the Archdiocese of Toronto. And we are on a mission to revive the vocation of motherhood. And we do so primarily by helping parishes start Catholic moms groups. Um, I've been running my own mother's group, oh my gosh, for 23 or 24 years now. And uh, prior to 
you know, I guess founding this ministry, I had a remarkable uh, career in, in involved international travel, delivering corporate seminars in New Zealand, Australia, across the United States, and uh, Hawaii too. Anyway, I uh, used to teach at the um, Executive School of Business, the Schulich Executive School of Business. And people used to always ask me, you know, where do you get your energy? Where, did you, where do you get your enthusiasm? And I could never really say to them in a corporate setting, you know, from daily Eucharist, from the rosary. And uh, anyway, I, I prayed for years and years that uh, God would allow me to use my skills, um, my professional skills, to, not for, you know, for God's greater glory. And um, my life changed dramatically when I had my first child. Um, I had a profound, profound Marian experience. And I found that the more I surrounded myself with women, with moms that took their faith seriously, um, the happier I was <laughs> and, uh, and the better mom I became. And so anyway, for the last uh, five or six years um, under the care of Cardinal Collins, I've had the great opportunity to train um, many, many mothers group leaders. And you know, one of the mothers group leaders that I trained is, is a mom that Father Michael Pace recommended, Ramachelia. Anyway, so we have now helped over 45 Catholic moms groups start. We have a mother's group starter kit. We have tons of resources and we're just getting ready to pivot all of our materials online. Exciting news, drum roll. Got invited to be a guest on EWTN. So I ask you to pray for me. Now, enough about me, enough about the ministry. Um, I really am honored to have Father Michael Pace um, join us all the way from Italy. Isn't that just so cool? Um, so Father Michael Pace is a Salesian priest. He hails from Toronto and received all of his sacraments in his home parish of St. Benedict in Etobicoke. He has worked in parish leadership, youth ministry, and formation of priests and religious. He is currently vice director of Museo Casa Don Bosco in Turin, Italy, where he offers spiritual and pastoral animation at the Salesian Mother House, the birthplace of Don Bosco's worldwide mission with the young. He holds degrees in modern languages, education, law, theology, and pastoral leadership with pastoral experience in Canada, the United States, Mexico, Ireland, and Italia and Italy. Uh, so please help me uh, in just warmly uh, welcoming um, Father Michael Pace. It's an honor to have you here. Uh, we love you and we want to hear all about um, Don Bosco's mom. Thank you for being here today. Okay, you're most welcome and thanks for inviting me. Um, so I just go into it now. It's my turn. It's your turn. The floor okay. is yours now. I don't interrupt people. So if I do, you might have to kick me in the ankle. So. Right. Okay. So thanks to everybody who has uh, logged on to this webinar. Uh, Dorothy asked me to speak about the mom of St. John Bosco. 
which I'm happy to do. Um, begin with some of these pictures to help appreciate more who this woman is, okay? We think of Don Bosco, we think about this Basilica of Mary Hop of Christians in the heart of his uh, oratory in Valdocco, Turin. Uh, this is it from the inside. I don't forget, this is a boy who grew up without a dad and a single mom who was dirt poor. And this is a symbol of what she taught him from day one. Stay close to Mary. Love Mother Mary. If you ever become a priest, make sure you spread devotion to Mary. And it's been said, everybody who studies Don Bosco says, if we hadn't had Mama Margaret, we never would have had the Don Bosco we had. And a lot of the reflexes, the relationality, the priorities of his whole educational method, his way of relating to God and to people, he got from his illiterate mother. And so this woman who was really God's chosen instrument to um, live her vocation, a God-given opportunity, a vocation to help others thrive. And this is, I think, so important to appreciate if we're going to talk about Mama Margaret. There she is there in a statue depiction that was just placed on our property last year. It's just outside my office where I'm speaking now. It marks the space where Mama Margaret had her vegetable garden. And she's depicted there welcoming the first little kid who slept over on a cold, wet May evening. He was horrified, he was afraid. She says, come on in, we'll find you a place to sleep. God will take care of the rest tomorrow. So this is the kind of spirit she had. And so I was thinking, hmm, if I put on my Don Bosco hat, what would I really wanna tell all of the webinar ladies today? Well, let's see, let's put on my Don Bosco hat. Let's put on my Don Bosco hat and see what happens. Okay, so going forward, I am Don Bosco. Okay, and so Mama Margaret, that's my mom. And uh, I know you moms love to take pictures and make photo albums and all of that. So I'm gonna take you through our Bosco family album. Okay, that's me and her, my mom. It makes me so happy that I see even today, my mom still inspires people to want to know Jesus. This is Katerina here in Torino, and she is member, a member of our third order Salesian group of cooperators called the Mama Margarita chapter. And so, yeah, mom, you're still rocking it. There she is in that lovely statue, a mom's touch. You've got to keep this in perspective, okay? She was the only woman in a house of 200 mostly pubescent young boys and a lot of young men and she brought a feminine motherly touch that really made the place so livable and lovable. This is the closest likeness we have of my mom. Of course, it's not a selfie. It's done by a boy who was at the oratory, Giuseppe Rolini, and he became a very accomplished painter. Now, he painted this after my mom died. He gave it to me as a gift. But as a boy of the oratory, she helped raise him. And I can assure you, her face was engraved on his heart. And when I look at this picture of my mom, I can say, Giuseppe Rolini, you got it. Bang on. Thank you. Mom came to stay with me in Valdocco in 1846. And that was just a couple years after I started there. But a little bit now about her, who she was and where she came from. I like to call her the saint maker because that's what she was. She was born in a little simple village 
just outside of Turin on April 1st, 1788. It wasn't April Fool's joke, it's for real. And she died at 68 years of age in Turin. She was uh, declared venerable in the year 2006. She grew up in very tough times, okay? She was born one year before the French Revolution broke out when infant mortality was at a 25% rate. One in four kids died before the first year of life outside the womb. Education, none. She couldn't read, she couldn't write. When she was nine years old, Napoleon invades Piedmont, the area of Italy where we are. And when she was 11 years old, the Russians came in, they were at war with France. And so one day they, Russian troops came in with their horses and they parked right inside of, you know, Margaret, 11 year old, my mom when she was 11 was working the farm and she was drying the corn in the fields and the horses came and were eating this corn. And she says to the soldiers, would you move, kindly move your horses? This is our food for the winter. And they laughed at her. Made so, fun of her. Father, I just feel called to say something. So, you know, like right now, all the moms that are listening, you know, we're in the middle of a, a pandemic. And so we really <clears throat> could turn to Mama Margaret and right. ask her to, to strengthen us because she knows what it's like to suffer. And I, I guess the other thing that strikes me that, you know, as a mother, we're always telling our kids, you you know, our daughters are saying, you have to get an education, you have to do this. And, and, and this really kind of reminds me that yes, education is important, but oh my gosh, you can have a profound impact on the world being a simple person with no education. It's, it's remarkable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there's many ways to get an education. Yes. Sometimes mm -hmm. it comes through school, but not just. And what we have in my mom is, is the wisdom, the wisdom of a woman who knew how to be peaceful and content in her own skin and have an effect for good on so many people. So anyway, um, my mom at 11 years old grabbed the pitchfork, stabbed that horse in the butt, didn't hurt it, but scared him. And it took off and the soldiers went off running after their horses. And so that's the kind of uh, spunk my mom had. When she was 13 years old, Piedmont became part of France. Napoleon annexed us to France. By 1806, my mom was a pretty attractive young woman. And the guys were kind of, you know, whistling at her as she was walking to church every Sunday. And she would have none of it. So she decided to kind of um, insulate herself from the catcalls by escorting an old cantankerous woman to church who walked with a walking stick. And any time one of the guys would kind of, you know, show his interest, this woman would shake the stick and just say, back off, boys, she's not interested. Come back later. When she was 24 years old, Napoleon invaded Russia, which meant some 125,000 Italian men were conscripted into the war. Uh, but you know what? 25,000 Italian men died in that time. My mom still managed to fall in love with my dad, Francesco Bosco, and they were married on June 6th of 1812. Now for us Canadians, remember that's the year of the war between the United States 
and the British Empire, which included Canada. So you got a little bit of context going on there. So my mom and my dad, they moved to my dad's house. He was renting it in Becky. He already had a son from a previous marriage, uh, Antonio. And then we started coming along in the new family. My mom was 25. My older brother was born, Joseph. Two years later, on the Feast of the Assumption of Mary, I was born. And then two years after that, my dad died. And my mom was a widow at just 29 years of age. Now, my dad was a simple guy. He was a farmer. He was a hard worker. He was providing for us. He lived by the sweat of his brow and was responsible for us three kids, for my mom and for his mom, who was in her 70s and almost always sick. So it was a very tough situation to get her the medicine she needed because money was always uh, tight. This is the little house we grew up in. We didn't own it. My parents were crop sharers. This is the house in Becky. The animals lived on the ground floor. We lived up above in the hopes that the heat from the animals would rise up and give us a little bit of warmth. This was home. Well, home changed drastically when I was two. My dad died. And my first memory is of me being in the room with my dad in, in the bed. He was already dead. All the people had left. And my mom said, come on, Johnny, we've got to go. I said, no, mommy, I'm not going if daddy's not coming with me. And she began to cry and said, son, you no longer have a daddy. And she took my hand and she said, we need to go. That is my first memory ever. My mom was a fine woman. And so when people knew that she was now a widow, the men were coming around to woo her into marriage. There were many suitors after my mom. And one in particular had a plan where they would get married and he had enough money to pay for a, um, a guardian to raise me and my brothers. And my mom said, absolutely not. These were the words that she would tell us. God gave me kids. God gave me a husband and God has taken him away from me. With his death, the Lord put these three children under my care. I would be a cruel mother to abandon them just when they needed me most. A guardian at best could be a friend, but only I can be their mother. These are my sons. All the gold in the world would never make me abandon them. And so I began to learn at a young age from my mom about dedication and responsibility and understanding what vocation really is. Her passion was to take care of us kids and she loved nothing more than to help us know God's love for us and to help us love God. She wanted us to know our religion, to have a lot of fun. We did play a lot, even though we were poor. She impressed upon us the importance of obedience and responsibility suited to our age. And this influenced me when I became an educator, the importance of age appropriate expectations on people. And this from my mom who never went to school. As a farmer, my mom knew how to recognize the hand of God in nature. If there was a storm um, at home, she would say, look at the power of God. Let us never offend God with sin because he helps us in everything. 
God was powerful, but always in a loving way. And then there was the tenderness with which she would point out the wildflowers this time of year and say things like, if God can take care of something as simple and beautiful as this flower, imagine the care he's going to take of us. So she introduced me to a world of prayer that was tender, but not saccharine, not overly pious. The stars in Becky were tremendous. There was no city lights. So we would love to sit out at night in the summertime against the black sky and just admire the stars. And she would say, see how many stars there are, John. God created them just for us. Look how much he loves us. We were always poor, but my mom taught me to be sensitive to those who had less. My aunt, Madalena, my dad's brother, she was worse off than we were. And I remember one day my mom making a fresh batch of bread for us. And I said, mommy, can I take this bread over to Auntie Madalena? She needs it more than we do. She just smiled at me and nodded her head. There were times I remember also when the beggars would come by our house, especially at wintertime. And they knew that mom would let them sleep in the hayloft. And she would prepare them a little bowl of hot soup, all she had, before she sent them off. And there was one guy in particular who would always come with these rotted out wooden clogs and his feet were in terrible shape. I remember my mom washing his feet and cleansing his wounds and wrapping them with fresh cotton bandages so that he might sleep a little bit better. Then there was the time when I was just two years old, I don't remember it, but my mom told me there was a tremendous famine in Piedmont and whatever food was available was way beyond what we could pay. And so she says, my dad taught me desperate times call for desperate measures. So after she broke a few chairs to keep the fire going, to burn them, she went to the uh, barn and with our neighbor, they slaughtered the calf, something you never did because that was your investment. But she killed the calf. She cooked us a beautiful vitello supper and that got us through the worst of the famine. Many times I would help mom go to market and I remember one day saying, mommy, how I wish one day I could become a priest so I could help so many young people. That way they wouldn't get into trouble. And she would gently pat me on the shoulder. But there was also that mischievous side of me that mom also knew how to handle. One day with my brother, Joseph, we wanted to get some of that really good olive oil that was up on my mom's pantry. So I was just a little guy, I stood up on the chair and I was trying to reach the jar and I couldn't quite get there. And Joseph says, a little bit higher, a little bit higher, a little bit higher. You've almost got it. Well, I got the bottle all right, and I dropped it. And the oil smashed all over the ceramic floor. And I thought, oh boy, now I'm going to get it. Of course, Joseph was no help. He said, oh, you just wait until mom gets home. Well, what to do? I grabbed, uh, I grabbed the broom and got myself psyched up to get a punishment. Mom had never hit me. But I knew this time I deserved it. When mom returned from the market, I gave her the broom stick. I said, here, mom, this is what happened. I broke the oil. I know you got to punish me. What did she do? My mom just laughed. <laughs> she just laughed. She said, yes, John, I'm disappointed that you, uh, I'm disappointed that you broke the oil, but I'm so proud of you for not lying. Next time, please just be careful. Uh, the oil is expensive, but next time think before you act. And that's my memory of that little mishap. You guys know I'm a priest. You know that I did all that I did because of my profound faith, but 
That all came from my mother. It was my mom who taught me and my brothers to pray. Every night she would kneel us down in the morning and in the evening and we would say our prayers. She was illiterate, but the parish priest had uh, taught her some Bible verses by heart and she had memorized her prayers. And so she passed these prayers on to us. She believed very much in the need to pray, to speak with God in order to be strong and to be able to do good, especially when times are difficult. It was also my mom who prepared me to make my first confession. I remember on the day of my first confession, she walked me to church and she went to confession first to take away my nervousness. And then she introduced me to the priest. And then after confession, she helped me to make my prayer of thanksgiving. And she kept doing this for a couple of years until she was convinced that I was old enough and ready enough to do this on my own. It was Easter Sunday when I made my first communion. And even my mom was the one who prepared me and taught me all of my catechism at home. I received my religious instruction from her because it was so important for her that I make my first communion and that I make it well as soon as possible. And she did everything in her power to prepare me. I remember during Lent, she would send me to catechism class every day. And she took me to catechism, she took me to, uh, to confession during Lent three times. And she would say to me every time, John, God is giving you a great gift Try to behave well, make a sincere confession, and ask the Lord's forgiveness and promise him that you'll be good. Well, I made the promise, but God only knows whether I kept it. On the evening before my first communion, my mom helped me to pray. She made me read a nice, good book, and she gave me some good Catholic advice like moms do to their kids. On the day of my first communion in the church, it was hard for me to stay recollective with all those kids and their parents around. But my mother that day, she helped me. She made sure that I was alone, except with her. There was nobody around that day. And she helped me make my preparation for communion and my Thanksgiving later. When we went home, no chores. We didn't have a big fancy meal. We couldn't do that. We didn't have a huge party, but it was the best day ever. I just spent my mom my day praying and reading and pondering what had just taken place at mass. My mom said these words to me, my son, this has been a wonderful day for you. I'm certain God has become the master of your heart. Promise him you will keep it that way and go to communion often, but never go to communion with sin on your heart. Always confess sincerely, always try to be obedient, Go to catechism class willingly and listen to God's word openly. But for the love of God, stay away from bad company. Avoid trouble like the plague. Well, as a kid, I was really good at sports. I was always team captain and everybody wanted to be on my team. One day after a game of Lippa, which is about as close as we got to baseball. I went home one day with my face cut open because the stick had hit me in the eye. My mom, I don't know if you moms have ever said this to your kids, but my mom said to me, one of these days, Johnny, you're going to lose an eye. And then she said, I don't think it's a good idea for you to keep playing with those boys anymore. Well, I looked at her. I said, mom, please, 
Don't make me lose my friends. When I'm with them, they behave better. They don't swear and they don't get into trouble. Please let me keep my friends. That's all she had to hear. She nodded and she smiled. I knew that life was not just about fun. I knew that because I had a gift as a leader among my friends, I also had to teach them and get involved in things in the parish. And so my mom took me to the parish mission that was preached in our, in our parish church. And that's how I met Father Colosso. He was a great old priest. And we talked and he saw my capacity to uh, remember his homilies and understand what he was talking about. He said, Johnny, I got to meet your mom. So I took Father Colosso to meet my mom. He says, Margaret, this son of yours has a prodigious memory. He needs to study. He needs to go to school. If you can't afford it, send him to my house and I will give him private lessons for free. Well, I tell you, I was <laughs> delighted. Forgot my slides here. And um, that was the beginning of my education. I went to live with Father Cafaso. Well, I went there for lessons, but the problem was didn't last long. He died just a few months after that. And so I had to go back home. Well, overcome with anger that I was getting time to study, my older brother Antonio was furious. He wasn't a bad guy, but he was struggling to make ends meet for the family. He said one day, he said, we don't need any books around here. What we need are hands in the field. He says, I'm big and I'm strong and I work hard and I've never read a book in my life. Well, that got me so mad. I just said, listen, you, our donkey is bigger and stronger and works harder than you. And he's never read a book either. <laughs> that didn't go over very well. <laughs> wow. Yeah, thank God I was a fast runner. Otherwise, that would have been a very painful beating I would have received. But jokes aside, my mother was extremely distressed. She was very worried that I would get hurt. She was very sad that Antonio couldn't see the value of an education. And I cried. And my mom consoled me. Father Colosso heard about this. And he said, well, why don't you come to my house and stay? That's when I went to stay with him. And that's when he passed away. And so I had to go back home um, and things didn't get better with Antonio. He became violent anytime he saw me with a book in my hand. So one day he gave me and my mom and my brother Joseph an ultimatum. Either this little gentleman, he called me, forgets about his books or I am leaving this family. Well, you can imagine the stress at home. My mom tried to reason with Antonio but he would not budge. She even offered to do extra work to pick up my share of the chores, but Antonio would hear nothing of it. And so that became the beginning of a big turning point in my life. <clears throat> my mom was absolutely brokenhearted, but she knew that I had to get an education, but she knew that I could be severely injured if I stayed home. And so she made the decision that I would have to leave home to try to continue my studies elsewhere. Her words to me were, John, we have to be courageous. God's providence will take care of us. I was 12 years old and I was leaving home. 
and I was so sad, as was my mother. But her words consoled me. See you, John. Always be a good boy and always be devoted to our blessed mother. Trust her in all things. Well, mom arranged for me to stay with a family called the Molias. They had a farm, so I was like a farm hand. And in return, they would give me some uh, spending money. In the fields, I would hear the church bells ring. And I always remembered my mother's words and her example. So wherever I was, I would just drop to my knees and pray the Angelus. One day, my uncle came to visit me. I was surprised. And he says, John, do you want to try your studies again? I think we can make it happen. I was so excited. So he took me home and I hugged my mom and we made plans. That was the year I really began to study. And it's true, I walked eight kilometers to school every day and eight kilometers back home in the snow and in the cold and on the sunny days too. It was a sacrifice, but it was worth it. I spent so many late nights finishing my homework while my mom was beside me doing some of her chores. And she would say, son, go to sleep, it's late. If you keep this up, you're gonna get sick. And I would just say a little bit longer, mom, I'm almost finished. And she would smile. Well, the next year I left home to start my high school in Kiri as preparation to go to the seminary. Even here, Providence was very good to us and mom was able to collect many, many um, donations to send me on my way. And so I left for Kerry, and there I found a family who was very kind to me and they took me in. Mom would come and visit when she could with a little gift to show their appreciation, but they were so gracious. They just said, no, Margaret, your son is a pleasure to have around. We refuse to accept any gifts from you for us taking him in. I made a lot of friends in Katy, and I, I formed a youth group where boys could gather for games and good fun and prayers together. And my mom, when she would come, she'd always encourage me, guess what, to stay close to the Blessed Virgin Mary. She said this to me so many times, when you were born, I consecrated you to the Virgin Mary. And when you began your studies, I told you to be devoted to our Heavenly Mother. Now, I ask you to be hers entirely. Choose your friends among those who love her. And if you ever become a priest, spread devotion to Mary. Follow your vocation, whatever it is. Only that will make you happy. But remember, John, if someday you do become a priest, and by some misfortune you become rich, I will never set foot in your house. <laughs> she stared me down when she said that one. Well, after so much struggle at the age of 26, I was ordained a priest. My mom was literally in heaven when she was able to receive Holy Communion from her son, the priest, for the first time. Well, that night, after the crowds had left, when you were alone, my mom said, remember, John, that beginning to celebrate Mass is to begin to suffer. As a young priest, I remembered a dream that I had when I was nine years old. 
I was in a field and there were wild, rough boys swearing and fighting. And then just to make it short, this beautiful woman appeared and said, this is your field of work. And she pointed to the boys and they became um, as gentle as sheep. And they were peaceful and they were getting on just fine. I didn't know what that dream meant. So when I woke up, I asked my brothers what they thought and they made fun of me, of course. They said, hi, you're gonna be a shepherd. Well, when I told my mom, I was nine years old, she said, well, John, maybe someday you're going to be a priest. And she was right. Sometimes moms get it. <laughs> my work as a priest really took off on the feast of Mary, the Immaculate Conception, December 8th, 1854. It was my first time celebrating that feast day. I was in the Church of St. Francis of Assisi, and this poor street kid was there. Um... I spoke with him. He was an orphan. He had no job. He had no place to live. He had never been to a religious class. He didn't know his catechism. I asked him if he would come for lessons and we would pray together. And he said yes. And that was the beginning of what became Don Bosco's worldwide oratory. What is the oratory? Well, it's that place where I welcomed kids who had nowhere else to go. It was a it was a home for those who had none. It was a school for those who had no hope of getting an education. It was a safe playground at a time when kids were so easily abused and exploited. And most of all, it was a church where all of that could speak to them of God's love for them, where they could learn their faith and receive the sacraments. Well, a couple of years after I started the oratory, I was completely overwhelmed by work had a bit of a burnout, I went home to rest, and then I asked mom, would you come back to Turin with me? It's about an hour away from where she lived. Would you come to help me and be a mom to all the boys? Well, for someone who had never left her village ever, a move to the big city of Turin at 58 years of age was a big ask. But you know what? Mom said yes. And that yes testifies to her faith. It was a it was an act of faith. It was a faith rooted in God that needs to express itself in kindness to others, even sacrifice for others. Her words to me were, if you believe that me coming to the oratory is God's will, then I will do it. That was literally a godsend. When she was 30 years old, she had just us three brothers to raise. And now at 58, she had dozens and eventually a couple hundred orphan boys to raise and they all saw her as her mother. That's how she got the name Mama Margarita. It came from the boys. They all called her that. Now her presence at the beginning of the oratory really made it better. For 10 years until she died, she was at the oratory and her energy and her spirit and her manner worked so well with mine. She didn't realize it, but she was really my first co-founder. She was the one that I was able really to draw on to create the family spirit that my oratory was known for. Not just a boarding school, not just a place to get discipline, but a place to call home. She was so much more than just the lady who did the laundry and cooked our meals. She won the total confidence of every boy in the house. And they looked to her as the mother they had never known. Now, she was a brave woman. At the beginning, there were times when all the kindness that she showed and that I showed was totally taken for granted. 
the first few fellows who stayed with us ended up robbing our blankets from the loft where they had stayed. They ran away. And many times we kept trying to do our best. And many times we got taken advantage of. But at the same time, we kept our focus. My mom always taught me to look for the good in people. We kept our focus on the many, many grateful boys who were happy to find a home with us. And so we kept welcoming these boys. My mom was right there with me the whole time. I remember that first night in May, a cold, cold May on a wet night, when this little fellow showed up and he said, he was crying, he was soaking wet, and he says, I, I'm, I, I'm nobody, I have nobody, and I'm a nothing, I have no idea what to do. My mom just brought him in and said, son, you come in, have a bowl of soup, you'll sleep here tonight, and tomorrow God will provide. And that's when everything really began to move forward. So she set him up for the night. We ended the night with a night prayer, and the rest is history, as they say. We began with my mom with just 15 boys in 1849 staying with us. Six years later, we had over 100 live-in residents with us, and it was the time of our lives. Let me show you mom's kitchen. This was the upgrade, okay? This is the place where 200 of the boys, this is really the place, um, it's in the museum now, but for mom, it was a real thing. <laughs> you know, it looks, looked pretty plain, kind of nice, but some details, right? The windows are really underground. The windows are, floor, are, are openings in the ground of the playground. And so it's lights that come from a flat window. It was often dark in there. It was often um, smelly with all the boys, um, but this was our kitchen. This was mom's pantry, often empty, made of brick, kept the food when we had some, nice and cool. This was her oven. This is where she cooked for up to 200 people. Polenta and polenta and more polenta <laughs> is what we had. And this was the dining room where the younger boys would eat. The walls built with stones that they brought to the oratory so we could save money on bricks and speed up the construction period. And mom was there all the time to encourage them. Now, this was the size of my mom's bedroom. This is the space she occupied on the second floor of the building once we were able to build it. Well, I tell you, one day she really had had her fill. Her patience had ran out. <clears throat> Today, there's a statue that marks the spot where her garden was. But on this day, the boys ravaged her garden. She had worked so hard and they trampled all the vegetables and it was all just gone. I remember her coming to me in tears. I can't take it anymore. You see how hard I work, but they take it all for granted. Now, moms, I'm sure your kids never take you for granted, but please try to relate, okay? She went on. These boys have become unbearable. Today, I find the laundry I put out to dry yesterday dragged all along the dirt. Yesterday, they ran through the vegetable garden. Some of them come home in the evening without their clothes, or they come back with their clothes torn to shreds. Others come back without their ties or their handkerchiefs. Some hide their shirts from me and they think it's funny. Others take my pots and my pants to play with. And when I talk to them, they say, what? <laughs> what? It takes me hours to find everything again. I'm just so tired. You know what, John? I was better off in Becky. And you know what? 
and she stopped. I made sure she was finished. And then I pointed to the small crucifix on the table. Well, she stared at it and she stared at me and her eyes filled with tears. And she said, you're right, John, you're right. She put her apron back on and went back to work. She never, ever expressed any dissatisfaction from that day on. She was just something of a rock star at the oratory. She wove into the occasions of joy and fun with the kids, but she also helped me. I was a young priest. I was enjoying my preaching ministry. What would I do? I would practice my Sunday homily on my mom the day before I had to give it because she would keep me grounded. How many times she'd say, John, I didn't understand a word you said. Speak normal Piedmontese so people understand. Don't use fancy words. Don't show us how much you've studied. We know you studied. Just speak simply so we can understand. And you know what? Mom made me a better preacher. She was wise and she defended me against a lot of people who were out to get me. They thought, they thought I was crazy. Or they thought I was trying to form an army of men to take down the government. None of which was true, of course, but people were still out to get me. Mom would warn me and I would just ignore her. Well, my stubbornness was met with a mysterious dog called Grigio, who would stand at the gate of the house <clears throat> and not let me leave at times or escort me back home if I was out at night. Soon after, I found out that there was indeed a plot to kill me. We never knew who owned that dog or where he came from. We just know that he showed up at the right time. He would always come by to get mom's affection. He became known as my guardian angel. Here's a nice painting they've put of me and Grigio and my mom in the museum. Well, one of the best traditions that mom created was the, uh, the, the autumn chestnut roasts. She would roast them and I would give them to the boys. And one day I was too energetic and giving all the chestnuts out to the first guys, not realizing I didn't have enough for the others. Well, I just kept giving them out and providentially they didn't run out. Mom was always thinking of treats for the boys I think that day, miraculously, God's hand extended the batch. Every year in the fall, we would take a walk from Turin in Valdocco back to Becky, where I was from, as a pilgrimage, as, a, as, a, as an outing for the boys. It was quite an adventure. That's when I met a young boy named Dominic Savio. He said to me, I would like very much to be a priest. He said to me, Don Bosco, I will be the cloth. You be the tailor. Make me a beautiful suit for the Lord. Well, Dominic came to the oratory. He was a fine leader. He died at 14 years of age. My mom knew this boy was exceptional. This painting today hangs over the tomb of Dominic Savio in that beautiful church that I built that you saw at the beginning of Father Mike's presentation. And here in this painting, Mom is telling me, John, you have a lot of fine boys at your oratory, oratory, but keep your eye on this one. There's something extra special about him. And boy, oh boy, was she right. Now, I know you folks 
are struggling with the epidemic these days. My mom and the rest of us, we had to survive an epidemic also. It was cholera, okay? COVID is not fun, I get it, but at least there's no vomit and there's no diarrhea, excuse me. It was rampant, it was disgusting, and it was all over the neighborhood. 800 people in the few blocks around us died. It was the young kids from our oratory that were on the front lines of taking care to them. I said, you say your prayers tonight before you go, and then you go render service, and I can tell you not one of them got sick or died. Thank you, Mary. But there was a wonderful episode when mom really came to the front line. She always handled crises well with common sense and practical faith. Well, we had run out of linens to bandage the wounded. What did she do? She took all of the altar linens, which by the way, were made from her wedding dowry. She gave that up for the church. She made all the linens. She grabbed all the linens and gave them to one of the boys, including the new altar cloth we had just made for the altar. And she gave it to Mike Rua, one of the other young leaders at the oratory. She said, here, Take this too, take the altar cloth and use it as a bedsheet for some poor soul. Even they are the body of Christ. That had a huge impact on the boys. When we say that the, um, there she is taking the altar cloth for the sick. When we say that the Salesian congregation was cradled on my mom's knees, it's really true. She grew it up from an idea that I had and made it into a home and a family. She was that feminine genius that turned things around. A woman who knew she was a woman, who didn't have to have a degree to know she was a woman. A woman who was eager to work hard and to love deeply and to bear suffering in the name of love. This is what she brought to the oratory. She was an example and an inspiration for everyone, including me. Well, by the end of her life, she died young. These are the words she spoke to me. John, God knows how much I love you, but up there in heaven, it'll be even better. Here, I've done everything I could. Tell the boys that I did it all for them. It was my joy to be their mother. She died on November 3rd, the month of the dead. She's present to us, and I'm very grateful to my mom for making me the man that I became. Ironically, I didn't have a dad, but her way of mothering me helped me become a dad to countless thousands of orphan boys, especially, but also girls. So thank you, mom, and thank you, God, and thank you, ladies, and maybe a few gentlemen for having joined me, and uh, I take my hat off to you, moms. And God bless. That's it. Yeah, that's uh, so, so beautiful. Um, if you have a few minutes, maybe you can just stop sharing your screen and then we can uh, ask the moms if they have any questions. So, um, first of all, from the bottom of my heart, you know, thank you, thank you so much. That was, you know, so beautiful. And 
I guess the thing that kept on popping in my mind is the contrast between, you know, the average mom nowadays that you kind of see on Instagram and then, you know, and the modern mom in this culture and, and Marma Margarita, like there, there's such a, a, an incredible contrast and, uh, I'm, I know I'm going to be praying to her for her intercession, you know, because um, as mothers, you know, are we, you know, teaching our children to pray? Are we teaching our children their catechism? You know, are we willing to give up our things? And we have so many things, right, for, for the sake of others. The, the one thing that really struck me, too, you know, I guess in, you know, 2021, like right now, there just seems to be this sense that, you know, a mom needs to get away from her kids because her kids are somehow shackling her and she needs to somehow go pursue a passion. And, you know, it's just so beautiful that Mama Margaret, like her passion, was her kids she didn't need to go somewhere else you know to fulfill her her passion anyway um, I'm sure that a lot of people here have questions if you have any questions uh, for for father uh, Pace um, can you ask them here I see all sorts of comments in the chat box now thanks father Mike that was a wonderful story um, I'm, I, I'm embarrassed because I don't remember learning this story, uh, even though I went to Don Bosco's high school. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe the Salesians didn't tell this story. So don't worry yeah. Mary. Uh, and then so someone else here says, I grew up in a home where all my brothers and sisters went to Salesian school. It was so wonderful. Um, and so there's so many people are saying how beautiful it was. Uh, someone here is asking a, a, a great question, which, you know, I'm going to ask you, like, what, what advice would you give to mothers today? Like, what are some thoughts that you have for us? Because again, I keep on saying there's a national emergency. Motherhood has changed so much. It, it's scary. And, and so what, what advice do you have for moms today? Mm. Well, you know what? My advice to moms would probably be the same advice I give to priests and dads and single people. Trust that God has put you here for a purpose and that purpose will bring you the deepest joy and pull all the strands of your life together. Whether you're a mom or whether you're a priest, you know, that, that the awareness that God weaves us together in a way and a mom's in a very special way with their kids, um, for his purpose. We've lost sight of that in our culture. It's what I want, when I want, how I want, with whom I want, for priests as well as married people and single people, no? I always love that phrase from Khalil Gibran that says, moms and dads, remember that your kids are not yours. They are on loan to you from God, and you will need to render an account to God for how you raised those kids so they can go back to God ready. 
And that could apply to a priest. The parish is not yours. The parish is the people's. You've been called to lead it and so on. Okay. So I think for moms and for anybody else trying to keep their focus in a healthy place in our world today, keep Christ at the center. Explore a relationship with Mary, not just as a pietistic thing I do, get beyond the religious image and the rosary on my rearview mirror and actually open a conversation about real life and let our faith become something that guides us to give us a focus. Um, those are some thoughts that come to me. Um, so an, a, another question here, um, you know, this is Paola. My kids will be going away to university in the fall. What can I do to help them continue following the mm. Catholic faith that I raised them in? You know, right. Paola, I just, I want to give a little bit of shout out here because I have a very dear friend who, and I'm not saying this to scare you at all, but it might scare you. I have, you're right to be concerned. I had a, a very good friend who had, you know, eight devout children. And she says that most of them lost their faith when they went to university. And right. one thing she said to me, she said, Dorothy, the program that they're going to, is it available in Toronto? Because if it's available in Toronto, why send them away? At least this way you'll still have them, you know, in the sacraments. So, um, but do you have any thoughts, Father? Like when- I, I, Again, I think the kids are not ours, they're God's and they're gonna have to find their own way. However, I would anticipate the question and say, it's what parents can do when they have some control over the kids that's most important to lay down those roots in the early years when they're home so that hopefully when they do leave and spread their wings, they're rooted in something that can ground them. End of the day, you have no control over what your kids are gonna do in university, but they could be in at York University up the street or they could be wherever they are, no? Trust them to do the right things. Inspire them by your example, not by your preaching and leave the rest up to God. We have to trust in providence and we have to trust our young people to make good choices. But the more as parents, they, we steep, children are, are raised in the faith, the more chance there is that going forward, that'll be the compass that guides their choices. The, the other thing to me, Father Mike too, that's remarkable about Mama Margarita is um, as affectionately as <laughs> such a beautiful day, right? Um, is how much she trusted in, in God's providence. Um, I know that very often one thing that kind of really, I guess, scares me or frightens me, or I don't know what the word is, but women today or moms today, they, they almost seem sometimes to be lacking in the belief of the supernatural, right? It, it's almost like, I have to be the provider, I have to be the cleaner, I have to be the beautiful one. Like they're, they're shouldering, moms today, they're shouldering so much. It's almost as if they wanna be the mother, the father, the cleaner, the sex kitten, the fitness instructor, the beautiful Instagram person. And, and, and sometimes like in my mind, they kind of like forget what their true purpose is. And, and I, I don't know, like, how, how can we get the gift of, I guess, 
trusting to follow the promptings in our own heart again. It's like, like very often we seem to be now relying on spreadsheets, on the news. And, you know, my mom used to always say we're losing that intuition as mothers that, you know, how could we increase that kind of, and that's what I'm, I'm almost begging people to sign up for a holy hour for a revival of that maternal trust and spirit that if we do what God is calling us to do, that he'll provide. I'm sorry, I'm going on and on. <laughs> um, well, I mean, you raise a very important point. What I, what I suggest is this, an example of Margaret now, you made the point early on that she had no education, but look what she did. I, th I think the paradox we find ourselves in in our culture, uh, I'm not a mom, so I keep saying we, okay? Um, she didn't have a school education. She had what she had, her physical strength. It was maybe easier for her to see the beauty of trusting divine providence because she had no choice, okay? Mm -hmm. That's not to say providence is for those who don't have choices. No, what I mean to say is it, it's, it's more obvious to those who haven't been blinded by the illusion that we're in control. In our culture, the degree, the career, the wardrobe, the vacations, everything else, those are all good things, but they can fool us into believing we're really in control of things when we're not, mm -hmm. right? So the, what Mother Mama Margaret can teach us, I think, is that, you know, God won't leave us high and dry and our blessed mother won't stick it to us if we come to them with a genuine trust, which will then express itself even professionally and, and, and success financially and all that, but not necessarily. The, the foundation has to be the conviction that I'm in the hands of a loving God who will provide for me and a heavenly mother who is actively involved in my life on earth. I think if we could refocus on that, We've kind of put, we've, we've taken the sun out of the center and we've made it the, you know, the orbit and we've put ourselves at the, at the center. So no wonder we feel out of, out of joint so, so much because we've put things out of their um, relational wisdom. And so we're always trying to make up for things that we can't possibly compensate for because we can't control everything. I don't know, that's a thought I have. Yeah, and I think right now, you know, yes, COVID is, you know, terrible. And, and I, I do my best to kind of, you know, pray for all those that are affected by COVID. But like, it, it also seems to be a, a, a great time of grace, right? Because um, I know even in my own family, extended family members and everything, you know, that that many of them have come to the conclusion that they don't need God and mm -hmm. that, you know, the church is irrelevant and, you know, that, you know, they, yes, they have their beautiful houses, their beautiful homes and they're spiritual, but they don't need, you know, the faith. And, yeah. and, and, and it's almost as if COVID is like sobering everybody up that, yeah. no, I don't have all of the control and, like, and I kind of see it as a little bit of an opportunity to reach out to, to family members. But again, um, anyway, that's neither here nor there. But there's uh, many moms have had to quit their jobs or they've been fired and they're, they're now all back in their homes, many of them, not all of them, obviously, because many of them are essential workers. But, uh, but I think there's 
you know, a lot of spiritual kind of confusion, reorientation. Do you have any thoughts for moms who might be struggling now during this kind of co or anyone really not just moms that might be struggling during COVID and the isolation and do you have any words of encouragement or any thoughts or? Well, so I, I, the reflection I've been having on this is that it's this epidemic and the whole isolation experience is such great proof that we are made for communion. We're made for being with other people. We're made, you know, to, to share deeply. And so I think there's a, there's a reminder in, in that awareness, oh, well, what, what place does holy communion have? Is it just a pious act I do once a week or once a day? Or is it really a catapult for appreciating we, we are relational beings and we need to build our families and balance our priorities in ways that allows me to be in communion with you in a meaningful way. What's the quality of my communion with my kids or my spouse normally? You know, what, what, what pulls on my schedule more? So what, what is this the central priority, right? Um, so that means the reflection on, on we're made for communion and we know how painful it is when we cannot have it. I think that that's a good meditation point in this time. Um, and then in some ways, the simplicity that could be very painful in some circumstances of being home more with the same people. We're not, <laughs> we're not used to that anymore. There's nowhere to go. And he's still here again. Uh, now, is that, is that a blessing or is that a curse? How, how, do, we, how do we recalibrate the ways we um, be together? Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot, a lot of good possibilities there. Yeah, so um, thank you again. Just a, a couple of comments. I know it's shortly after three now and I, I wanna respect your, your time. Um, Fatima says, I really love the story and the pictures in the slideshow. Are there any contained in a storybook available for purchase? I would love to have this story available to share with my kids. Um, uh, uh, the book as such, unfortunately not. Uh, I, I can make the PowerPoint available and just share it around. Okay. Actually, it's already on our, it's on our Salesian website. I put it up there. Uh, but maybe I'll, I'll link it to you, Dorothy, and you could share it up with everybody. Is that good? Yeah, well, what will happen, um, it might take a, a week or two, is that uh, we'll take this PowerPoint presentation and we're going to, or this whole presentation, upload it to YouTube, right. put it on YouTube, and then share it. But um, sure, if you could forward the PowerPoint, that would be great. Um, Marsha Williams, too, is just shouting out to all of those that have kids in university. Mm -hmm. Most universities have Catholic, Catholic Christian outreach. So, Paola, check if your university has Catholic, you know, the university that your kids are going to. Um, there are so many comments here, I cannot respond to them all. I'm delighted to see so many of my parishion, ex-parishioners from, uh, from, from St. Benedict. So that is touching, it's sort of a maternal chord in my heart. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm very grateful to, to know that you guys logged on and actually you're writing stuff and it's, it's very moving. So thank you for mothering me. Uh, <laughs> also, it's very good. Yeah, so yeah, but Rosina's here, Bernadette's here, I'm, you know, you, you do have a, um, okay, so 
Oh my gosh, thank you. So everyone is, thank you. Being the mother is one of the most rewarding and yet challenging vacations. Janine Grelia, thank you, Father Mike. Great to see you. Let me scroll here. Lucy Pignatello, Kathy Fajali, Mary Berry, um, Carmela Petrobion, um, Dear Dorothy, I look forward to watching this again as soon as it's available. Unfortunately, I missed the first part. Um, I, I am going to ask all of you to please go to our YouTube channel, like it, and subscribe to it. It somehow mysteriously helps the ministry. That's what my husband says, so I don't know. And we will, we will upload this uh, video. Uh, so Rosina, hello, Gloria. Thank you, Father Mike. Mama Margaret is such a real mama now. I will share with my fellow cooperators. Thank you for joining us, Gloria. Thank you for joining us, Bernadette. Liz Garcia. Hi, Liz. Uh, Liz and I went to kindergarten together. So. <laughs> Anna Chapetta, thank you for joining us, Anna. Um, Tina, I'm a boy mom too. Anna Stefik. Um, I grew up in a home where all of my five brothers went to a Salesian school, so it was wonderful to listen to the same stories I heard when I was a child. Mama Margarita, pray for us. St. John Bosco, pray for youth. And I, I'm also going to make a shout out here. Uh, this is unequivocal promotion of catholicmomsgroup.com. I have a strong conviction that someone here is being called to start a Catholic moms group. Um, I have been blessed dozens and dozens of times by small meetings like this, okay? There's small meetings together with moms, camps. I, I, I always say it's like a, you know, sitting around a campfire and listening to stories about holy mothers not successful mothers, not sexy mothers, not mothers with remarkable, big, beautiful, spotless houses, but holy mothers, you know? And I know that when I became a mom, I'd go to this mother's group, I'd go to that thing. And there was always something missing. There was always something missing. And it was when I, be, you know, there was a beautiful quote by Cardinal Vincenti that, touched me deeply, then I got his book. There's another beautiful book. I'll encourage all of you to get it. It comes in our Mother's Group Starter Kit um, as motherhood is a holy apostolate. Um, we've lost the sense that as mothers, we are intended to have a robust Catholic spirituality that, that yes, manifests miracles. There have been hundreds of miracles, dozens, millions of miracles in my own life. And I want that past that and much suffering too. Don't, I could tell you stories that, that would make you sign off. But um, as mothers, I'm begging you, don't lose the sight of your supernatural role. And um, anyway, I have to be careful. I'm known to go on too long, forgive me. So if you're called to start a mother's group, again, please visit our website, three words, Catholic Moms Group. Follow us on Instagram, follow us on Facebook. And uh, anyway, just I would ask you all as a thank you to Father Michael Pace, I'm going to ask you a challenge. I'm asking each of you here today to do one of three things for Michael Pace, Father Pace. Number one, 
tonight, you pray a full rosary for him. I know I am. Okay, so some of you pray a rosary. Someone else might be called to order a mass for his intentions, because I, I think that priests need to be prayed for, right? And uh, others might be sended, uh, be called to send him a card or a letter. You know what joy it is to get a card or a letter from Toronto and know that you're not forgotten? Mom, <laughs> Brewster. Yeah, yeah. So all of you moms, I'm asking you today, okay? Do one of three things. Either pray a rosary for father, um, order a mass for father, or send him a card. Uh, we need to be mothering our priests because without them, uh, we would be toast, <laughs> burnt toast. <laughs> so uh, father, we, we love you very, very, very much. Um, thank you for your yes to our, our session today. Um, I ask you for prayers for our ministry and wouldn't it be exciting if we could start a mother's group in Italy? On pilgrimage to Baldocco, Torino, I'll show you a good Salesian time. So, <laughs> yeah, chances are good. Oh, we've got 10 new messages. Oh my gosh. Um, okay, I'll say a rosary tonight for sure for Father. Uh, thank you, Father Pace. All mothers are in my prayers. Thank you, Father Pace. All mother. Okay. Grazie, Padre. Sono contenta di avere visito. Prego per voi. Woo! <laughs> She's um, another friend of mine here who speaks English, who's right here in Turin. Yeah. I see you there, Katya. Very nice. Someone's asking for your postal address. Where do they get your postal oh. address? Oh my goodness. I would have to, give, I never, never write to myself. Okay, you know what? I can put it in our next email that goes out. So if you want to send it to me, then I can send it to, to, to the moms. Um, so on that note, um, maybe Father, you can say a closing prayer. I don't want to let you go. This is so much fun. <laughs> well, I, I also want to say hello to your mother because your mother's here somewhere. So hello. In there somewhere, yeah. I'm not sure. <laughs> yes. Well, okay. Listen, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna play mom now. I have to go and have my supper. Okay. Walk where I am, and then I have to go to bed. Okay. So, let's, let's do a closing prayer. Right. First, thank you to everybody. Thank you, Dorothy, for trusting me with this and inviting me and all of that. It, it was fun. And uh, let's give it right back to the Lord from whence it came. Thank you, Jesus, for this ministry that has brought us together across at least three countries, a sign of your universal Catholic Church. Thank you for pulling us together around the example of Don Bosco's mother, who always leads us back to yours. Give us hearts that are open to her guidance, that she may always lead us to you. Mary, help of Christians, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So thank Great. you, Father. Thank you. I hope you'll make some time for us again sometime. <laughs> okay. Give me a reason. Give me a reason. <laughs> okay. Okay. Bye, everybody. Thank you, Father.